You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Lisa Lutz is the author of the Spellman Pile series. Her latest novel is The Swallows. Thank you for joining me, Lisa. Thanks, Rick. It's great to be here. This novel is set in 2009, and that an in- presents an interesting challenge for you because when you're writing a story set, especially in the recent past, that's informed by the present, or even if it isn't informed by the present, you have to like make a bunch of choices. You want it to use all the knowledge you have of what has happened since then to make your book the best it can be, but you also don't want to just lard it full of anachronisms and make it seem like, well, why did was it set then? So tell us about the decision to set it in 2009. Yeah, that's actually a really great question because, and it's coming up a lot, and it's, it's probably not what you would think. So the book, the idea for the book, which was just sort of the germ of the idea was a gender war. And that all came to me around uh, 2014, 2015, predates Me Too. And I started working on it, and then Me Too movement happened. And then, you know, which was, I believe, it was Trump, and then Me Too, which was all connected. So I started it, and then I was writing it while that was all sort of very much in our consciousness. And I was also writing it while I was very angry. And, uh, you know, for, for me, Me Too really is, like, very... I mean, I understand it's, it means different things for different people, and I don't want to 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 minimize it. But for me, it's really all about Trump and, like, the sort of awareness that we are not what we thought we were. Or that's my feeling in general. And so, but that said, I, I couldn't have it be sort of a, a lecturing response to Me Too. I needed to trust sort of my general instincts when I started the book and had the idea for it, which was that this was a problem then, it's still relevant now, and I made a choice to write it, and said it in 2009, for, um, for a couple of reasons. Um, the, the reasons before Me Too that I chose that were, that was about the time where all the private school scandals were starting to break, where we became aware of like sort of the decades of insanity going on in these places. Um, so that was that was a big thing. And then I also really didn't want to have to deal with um, social media. And social media, then it, because it's constantly changing. So like if, if I were to write a book about, I don't know, five to seven years ago, I'd probably have to really lean heavily on Facebook if I was dealing with teenagers. Now Snapchat, uh, Twitter for sure. I mean, I, I keep asking kids what, what's going on, what's cool, and it's, I guess, now it's sort of like Snapchat super big and Twitter. But like, then it's really hard to like, how do you navigate that in a novel? Um, and I've had to deal with it to a, a little bit before, but I, I, find it, I find it tricky and I also find it a little messy. Um, so it was sort of just nice to go be- before all that, the good old days, <laughs> and yeah. Well, this is that's so fascinating because th- there was a time when cell phones were brand new, when uh, people who were writing like detective mysteries or something would want to make sure they could set it before the cell phone because it would be like take out a whole 
series of thorny problems. Now you had to include the cell phone in yours, but it, we are so accustomed to it by now. Now we're we've kind of worked our way around it. Yeah, I mean, text texting felt felt texting felt appropriate and felt was was actually fun to include, and that was sort of like the extent of teenage behavior that I was sort of comfortable with in sort of exploiting and getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, texting feels so simple now. But I do actually really relate to that whole like. I didn't used to think it was that interesting, but now I really understand with the detective novel, like so many modern conventions really make it a little less fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, I had a friend who was just completing his uh, Cold War spy novel when the wall went down and <laughs> said, well, there's one writing career down <laughs> the tubes. Um, you know, like you said, created a, a wonderful academy. So uh, where where our, our protagonist uh, White uh, Wit, Alex Wit, yeah, Alex Wit, where she where she teaches. Now uh, you do a really good job at that. Did did you research, look at any other academies? Did you actually ever teach at one? I'm curious. No, uh, no, I, I, I never I never attended a, a boarding school, and I and I I was briefly a substitute teacher in uh, private schools in the Bay Area, actually, mm-hmm. but they were day day schools. Um, so yeah, it was it was all kind of. You know, we all have seen boarding school movies and read boarding school books, and so there's certainly some of that influence. I looked at a lot of pictures. I had, like, tr- planned to do some research, but uh, if anyone who knows me knows, I'm not into research. And, I, you know, there, if you make up a world, you can kind of you can populate it and, and create something that is perhaps different than what's out there. So Stonebridge, one of the things I did was I made it, like, sort of not academically excellent. It was sort of where <laughs> they call them stoners, where it's a very lax academic environment. And I did that for a couple of reasons. Um, one, because I didn't really want it to like, I felt like there's something about like private schools where it's very academically focused. It, even though something like that could happen at Stonebridge, I mean, at, at those kinds of schools, I felt like it would be less likely and then I'd have to focus more on the academics, whereas I could almost ignore academics in, in the Swallows by pretending that no one really cared. Well, too, that also seems a lot more realistic. When I, when, as I encountered that aspect of this, I thought, well, gosh, you know, we see so many boarding schools, so much stuff about boarding schools where the kids are really smart and they have all this stuff and, and anything. Well, that's only got to be like the high end of the bell curve of boarding schools and there's a big middle hump where this kind of (laughs) folk go and there actually are i mean this this i did look into there are i don't can't remember the name of them but there are a few very like liberal arts boarding schools where there's there's no real rigorous in teaching environment where it's all like kind of independent study a lot of independent study which i i i made use of in the book like there's a character linny who does independent study Latin. And there are no Latin <laughs> teachers to actually be sure that she's studying Latin. She just uses a few conversational Latin phrases now and again, and that's like her cover. And then she has a whole period to herself to do what she wants. You know, uh, I really like that uh, your, your main character, Alex, and, and I think that she's a really interesting and complicated creation. And, and again, going back to the kind of the Me Too aspect of this book. Uh, talk about creating a woman who exists in that, you know, what now to us seems like a rarefied and kind of weird period just before um, our, 
we all decided that looked in the mirror and actually saw a little bit more of what was going on. Right. Well, okay. So it's, it's interesting because I was, was recently like working on a, like a written interview where I was having to like articulate how, what I thought about Alex and how I create, come and create my female characters. And, you know, there is, I do tend to like prefer a certain type of woman who is not, so we see a lot of times women who are like, they're flawed, but they've, they're really good at locking it down and keeping it a secret from everyone. Whereas like, if you look at Isabel or, 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 you know, or Ray, I mean, I don't think Ray thinks she has any flaws, but like, they're just all there, whatever's going on. But like with Alex, I don't feel like she hides it. And I guess I'm kind of interested in that a little bit more than, than the, I mean, we all have secrets, but Alex secrets aren't about hiding who she is. Like she's very comfortable with what's wrong with her. And, and I, I feel like there's something freeing in that and there's something interesting, but I think more importantly, um, I created the character of Alex, but I also, um, I, put, I had her mother in the book, which is sort of a little bit odd, because there's, in we have all these students and we never see their parents, uh -huh. but we see a teacher's parent <laughs> um, in this book. And I, what I really wanted to do was show what, what happens when you have a mother who sort of teaches her daughter properly. Like what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Like a sort of a blunt freedom that they all have. And so, Alex, having this mom is able to sort of navigate the world a little bit more clearly, I think, than, than other people, especially at that time. Well, you do a good job, too, of pacing our discovery of Alex's parents. But, so, but talk about them, because they are wonderful characters, both <laughs> of them. You, I can tell. One of the things I really like about your books is it seems like, even in this one, which is full of pins and needles of discomfort along with humor, uh, you seem like you're having a hell of a good time writing. I am. <laughs> and I, so for me, like, you know, I think sometimes uh, we get locked into like tradition when, when we read things. And like, I think sometimes writers get locked into tradition and they think it's all about just sort of writing the perfect sentence and creating this just, this very evenly paced story. Especially if you're writing crime novels, it feels like there are a lot of rules, but I, I believe a lot in chaos, and I believe a lot in sort of embracing moments that feel insane. So the parents, okay, so the mother of Alex Witt is Nastia um, Lazarov, and she was a, uh, on a Bulgarian, I believe, and, and if I've got this wrong, I'm sorry, I believe a Bulgarian fencing team, and all she really <laughs> wanted to do is emigrate, so she emigrated to Canada for the Olympics. So she got good enough so she could be in the Olympics, but it's really just so she could emigrate to a Western country. And then uh, Nastia meets um, Leonard Witt, who is Alex's father, who is uh, a famous writer. And, you know, I'm making fun a little bit about the literary tradition because he's a literary novelist who writes one novel that's made into a film, which brings him great success. And then he really, like, he can't duplicate it. And he has a family to support. And so his wife, he, he, he marries Nastia. His wife uh, basically steals his like 600-page insane manuscript that he's never going to finish and gives an outline for a crime novel <laughs> and makes him write it. <laughs> and then they're all sort of invested in this writing career because it's sort of their income. But the father can't come up with plots, so the daughter and the mother give him plots for his birthday. Okay, this is, does make it all sound insane. And I... I it sounds... <laughs> but it seems perfectly reasonable. I mean... Thank you. Because... It is reasonable. I, yeah. I, writing is a business, and if you're doing it, yeah. it, it seems like you could get really used to that life and 
used enough to it so that me training for like a, an actual job where you have to attend and do what other people tell you is not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> but tell me about it. I think about that a lot. I'm like, I can't blow this. <laughs> so, so he he's you know the the that arrangement makes perfect sense because you know art is what you do, and if all he does is just flesh out their plots, at least that's still some kind of fulfilling. I mean, I, life. I, yeah, and I think he's actually like I think he's a good writer, and, uh -huh. and I, you know it's funny because I, I actually know people like most people I know like if you just get down to like the bare bones of constructing a sentence, constructing a paragraph, just writing, they're better at it than I am. Most of my friends, it's just the plot where like I always think that's so easy a plot, and <laughs> but that's where it get people get you know stuck. Um, but what's what's interesting is that like. I created the parents and I fleshed this whole thing out and and I I was aware on some level that it it didn't fully apply to the plot but I also feel like that's life like in life you know it's like you might have a relative who doesn't totally like fit with your family and they might have this whole backstory that's insane that's something else in fact that happens more often than not and sometimes you just have to like flesh out your characters, let them have the, the life they have, and create a broader world. And I think with this book, it was important to do that so that the focus of the story didn't become too heavy-handed. Mm -hmm. And just, this is the world, this happens. I, I have to say, I really have to congratulate you on, the, on writing a book about this subject that is absolutely not in any way heavy-handed, polemic, you never feel like we're being lectured to. I, and I'm wondering, did you have to like go through, did you like put the filter on before you started writing and like keep all the bad stuff out or did you have to go back and retcon and, and trim off, all, oh my God, that's a little bit of, get off the podium. So there was one in an earlier draft and this is actually another reason. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna talk about it openly cause it's, but it's a little weird. I. I had, one reason I said it in 2009 is because that was also when those Twilight books were super big and that movie and all that. Mm -hmm. And I just hate them. <laughs> I think they're, I think they're scary. I think they send the worst, most horrifying message. I think they're poorly written. I think it's just embarrassing that something like that becomes such a huge thing. And then they are, of course, responsible for Fifty Shades of Grey, which I also feel like, you know what, if you want to read erotica, great, there's good erotica, and read that. So I was, I still am mad when I think about it, I'm mad. And so I had Alex like go on a freaking tirade when, because when she asked this questionnaire and a lot of people answer, what's your favorite book? Oh, if you could live in a book, what book? In an earlier draft, a lot of the girls answer Twilight. And then Alex hasn't read it, which I like. Um, and she, loses her mind when she reads it <laughs> so there was one huge lecture that and a whole thing around that that i cut but uh I, well <laughs> and it involved book burning which oh yes there was a whole bonfire of twilight books in an earlier draft which i have to admit i miss uh, a bit <laughs> I, I kind of would like to see that version. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you that chapter <laughs> oh yeah that, that sounds like a lot of fun you know um the when we get to the school i think you do a really good job. This is told in a round robin of different voices, and the pacing of the book is really nice. The chapters are nice. They're short, but they're not too short. Talk about making that decision to use that kind of round robin first person ad address throughout the book. That's a big decision. That's a lot of work for you. 
Yeah, it was actually, and for writers listening, I'm going to explain why it's more work than you even think it is. But So the book has four narrators and then an announcements guy who... <laughs> I'm not even going to get into that. But I will say that the audiobook is kind of great, and the announcements oh. guy is hilarious. Oh, wow. That sounds like fun. Yeah, I imagine that would be really fun to listen it to. It helps a lot, I think, oh, yeah, having yeah. it that way. Um, so there, Alex is the first narrator. There's Gemma Russo, who's a student, and uh, Finn Ford, who, male, a male teacher, and Norman Crowley, who is a male student. Uh, initially, I was actually trying a kind of a... I had many different narrators, and then my first editor was just like, no, no. I mean, she only wanted three. I wanted parody. I really felt like it was important to have some oh, yes, even. yes, absolutely. Isn't it all, like, the whole Me Too thing is about perspective. It's about point of view. So to not have any male points of view seemed wrong to me. Um, and I know people uh, are, I've you know, I, I've hear from people and stuff and I know that Finn Ford the male teacher makes people uncomfortable and stuff but I actually feel like he's sort of I don't think he's that bad and he does some I think decent things in the book he's just you know he is also like some of these boys in the book they've grown up he's a dude yeah he's a dude yeah (laughs) but I, I you know I Anyway, so when, but here's my cautionary thing for for writers, because I, this, this really surprised me how awful it was. I, whenever you have to change part of the story and you're using that round robin narration, you can't, like, you can't carry on one chapter, like, super, super long and and change the pacing. So let's say you have to pull something from the story and put something in. Only certain characters are privy to certain scenes. So... It has to work out that it fits, and if it doesn't fit, you're going to rejigger so many things. Oh my god, I imagine. There were two massive revisions in which there was just just a really messy part that I had to figure out how to fix, and I remember feeling really, like, unhinged, (laughs) and, like, I thought I had dementia because I couldn't remember stuff, and there was, like, I have these giant, like, like, three foot by five, not five foot, but two foot by three foot post-its, if that makes sense, that I can basically cover the walls with so I can write on my walls. Oh, wow. And it was just like a whole, my whole house had gone insane. And I was, (laughs) I was, it was rough. Wow, I'll have to look for those post-its. That's a real... They're they're actually really convenient. Yeah, actually, because, yeah, that sounds really (laughs) nice. Um, You do a good job at distinguishing in the writing and the perspective, a great job. And I hadn't thought about this until just you were talking that between the voices of the kids and the voices of the adults, there's not that much age range between them. I mean, there there, there are some, right. but kids at that age are pretty savvy and adults at that age are pretty immature still. Right. <laughs> I, I, I'm a much older age and I'm still immature. So. No, no, I feel the same way, and it's actually something that comes up a lot in my writing. In fact, I have this scene with uh, from the Spellman Files between Isabel and Ray, in which Isabel's just explaining to Ray that people just don't grow up like you think, mm-hmm. and everyone's sort of like, I mean, I have no, like, yes, kids are you're aware of a certain level of immaturity, but it's at this school the age range isn't that different. Um, and everyone is kind of fighting the same demons. And I'm just not sure how much we really grow up. There are some people who become more locked down. Mm-hmm. But I don't even know if that's like, if they're, I mean, I would suggest they're not more evolved in any way. They're just like fronting. Right, yeah. 
but it doesn't mean anything. Right, yeah. right. Well, eventually you lose the need to front and then you just become a teenager. Right. Senior. Senior. That's so great. You're a senior teenager. You you just don't care anymore. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that does make sense. It is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, talk about just uh, when you were writing these different parts, uh, the young, the kids versus the adults, did you write one adult and then another, or did you go back and forth between the things, write them as we read them? Oh, yeah. I I tend to, even if I have a book that's sort of wildly out of order in terms of time sequencing i always write in the order you read it i just might have to change things later Mm -hmm. but i i have a pretty good sense of how i want things to unfold and where i want them to overlap and so i tend to i tend to just sort of trust my instincts and then fix it later but i it's if i were to write let's say all from one point of view and then go back like it would be really hard to figure out how to fit it Uh, together and get the pacing right because you might you know, you might have something really intense in one section and then it's really dull somewhere else or it's just background or whatever. So it, it feels it feels like a good way to actually help focus me on keeping a reader engaged. Like, because then I know exactly time-wise in the reading experience where everyone is. Well, you know, too, um, I was just thinking that this really is... In a way, this does not read so much like a mystery, but it super partakes uh, of the genre. I mean, it's really, in many ways, it's super locked into that genre, but it just doesn't feel like it. And that kind of tension between the boarding school feel and the mystery feel is, is great. And I, like I hadn't realized until just small, I thought, Rashomon. This is called Rashomon oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at, a, at a boarding school. What a scary thought. Yeah, no, and I, I, I love that. And, and what's interesting is, like, I, I remember, you know, with, because uh, the book had two editors, and so with, I'm, I'm just, uh, we'll touch on that lately. But with the first editor, I think she really, because I had just come off The Passenger, I think she just wanted something much more like The Passenger. And I had, I felt like, I always write something that in some way nods to the mystery genre, but it has to be the right pacing and the right style to be appropriate for what the book is. So like, I couldn't have big, intense moments early on in this story that you would, I couldn't have a chase scene, I can't have action, uh, because it's not appropriate to the story. So I just had to have sort of some, some simmering conflicts and some suggestions of things that we haven't yet figured out. but. It does work on many levels, primarily as a, a boarding school book, and then you realize that things are just sort of taking a dark turn. And that felt natural and that felt appropriate, that like things escalate and then they become out of control. And that's where you're sort of, that's where you nod the most to the crime mm-hmm. story. But to have it feel like pacey, like a crime book, didn't feel right to me. No, no, but it's yeah. it reads fast, doesn't it? It, it reads really fast. It, it's very engrossing. Um, one of the things that I, I, I you were mentioned Finn, and I have to agree. I mean, I every time I came upon Finn, I kind of go. <laughs> but did you think that right away? Or no, 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 no. Okay. It took it took, a, took a while, but okay. you know, and that, that's one of the things that that is interesting about this book because it really speaks to this idea that. The more you get to know somebody, maybe the less and less you like them. And that's, I think, one of the discoveries of the Me Too era is you find, look at him, oh, wow. So talk about Finn and creating him. 
did you have to discover the, the ickiness and what, how did that make you feel as a writer? So I, I, I think that at first when I, when I think about like my early chapters with Finn, I think I didn't exactly know where I was going with that character. Um, and so some of the things he says early on are, uh, they came later during revisions where I was like, okay, I think I know what I'm doing. Um, I, to be honest, I liked him. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't like him. I don't want to meet him. I don't want to hang out with him. But uh, I kind of, I liked writing him. Uh-huh. And I, I, I do feel like, I know a lot of people probably wouldn't agree, but I do feel like he was nuanced. I think he was mm-hmm. not. Oh, yeah, very nuanced. I, yeah. It, it's, it, when this book is a, a, is a, does a great job at uh, revelation. I mean, you just it that you pull that bandaid off really slowly. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> but still, at the end, it's a bandaid. Yeah. <laughs> and being pulled it, off, yeah. it has about as much fun in yeah, some way. Exactly. It's, and there's still something beneath it that's scabbed up and yucky. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. I, I. Well, you know, it's what there's something about the with the when you have four narrators and and you you're doing that style. It's actually like you're. It's like meeting someone. You're mm-hmm. slowly learning more and more about them, and then you understand them. But at first, you might think one thing, and your opinion, I mean, I hope the reader's opinion changes. Oh, yeah, well, um, and, and talk about developing Alex, because again, I, I just mentioned Revelation, and understanding Alex is really great, because we meet her, and, and we have one opinion, and that slowly too, I wouldn't say it changes, but it becomes, it sharpens in focus. Yeah. Um, well, it, I mean, Alex was. I had a, a, a hard time with the first draft just because um, I had. I was thinking about like, I was letting sort of my editor get in my head and like there was. She said something like, she cautioned me about likability, mm-hmm. and and you know I ended up moving to a new new editing. Um, publisher and we didn't have that anymore and so the likability thing in the first few drafts was something that really like limited my way of, oh, of okay. creating her and I think that for a lot of people she's perfectly likable in the version now oh yeah no absolutely she's very likable I mean I think one of the things about your characters is they feel honest like the, your vision of them feels honest you're not helping them along to make the plot work or to make the language work or are you kind of hindering them you just like there they are (laughs) you know know, oh the humanity yeah no and but i i think that what the the biggest thing i got out of it was just that i have to just trust my own instincts Mm -hmm. and like when i was free and just wrote what i wanted to write alex became very clear to me but i think until then she wasn't i had all the these strange things i did and i could i i don't know but what i one thing about her is that she's sort of she's just a little sluggish a little lazy she's not a great teacher she doesn't even know if she likes it and uh-huh. i mean what she says sort of in you know pretty much in the opening paragraph uh but she's she's doing her best but like yeah i, I don't tend to like uh characters who are like like really awesome at something <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I don't know anybody who's really awesome at anything. Okay, yeah. So maybe that's why. <laughs> um, 
how the the plot of this book is also really interesting. It's this is very onion like. You just peel away one thing and you see oh well, maybe there's something underneath that. You know you get to you think you've got to the bottom of the barrel, then you turn it over and there's a whole bunch more you can dig at. Um, so did you understand the how far the plot would go and and what it, how what it would be exactly? I don't think I did. I'm trying to remember back because, you know, like the first draft, I think I found a lot of the big things in the mm -hmm. first draft. And there's, you know, the ending's pretty like, it, it's um, sort of the book is sort of dark and pacey and then the ending is just like searing and fast and sort of brutal. I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, and it, it, I remember certain ideas coming to me and then realizing where it could go and realizing that it could also, could go these places and be earned but it wasn't like I had that outline when I started mm. I knew that the end would be would be dark but I had no idea <laughs> and then then it all kind of happened and it felt very like it's a very visceral experience working on the end I wrote it the first draft in a very like insanely fast pace where I felt not even I didn't feel in my body in a weird way I was and I was angry, I will admit. I was like in the, it was a strange frame of mind. I remember it. But it also felt very satisfying, yeah. Well, I think one of the things you do really well in this book is to balance it because uh, this book is very funny and it really, you have this, uh, the mo one of the most wonderful and uh, uh, prose voices I've read. And you, you, oh, thank you. <laughs> you just have really great sentences and your, your characters feel, nat feel natural and yet you manage to just like wring humor out of it in in every sentence practically and that's that's really tough especially given what's happening in here so talk is that something does that just pour off the tip of your pen um well it, it's interesting because like with this Bauman books it was always because they were comedic novels you always had to really like find the joke you had to keep fighting for it looking for it and then with uh, other books I had sort of pulled back on that a bit and some more more than others, uh, but with this, I started out, I think, not fully letting it be humorous because that was another sort of editorial issue that happened early on. Like, why is this funny? And I, and frankly, right now, I'm still like hearing from people who like either don't think it's funny at all, oh really, or think it's inappropriately funny. That's... And I I was uh, doing. I think the yeah. more inappropriate it is, the better <laughs> because I uh, this these are inappropriate times. I agree, and I also feel like being super serious, having that just that stance on a subject, whatever subject it is, doesn't doesn't do anything for anyone. It is to my, to my mind a stupid, no way to live. And anyone who has a problem with my book, I don't. I feel like you need to kind of like ask yourself why. <laughs> why do you have a problem that it's funny and it's telling? Like that doesn't make sense to me. Right. Um, Humor's always been used to make things more palatable. It makes life more palatable. And if you choose to not have humor in your life, uh, it's going to be less fun. Yeah, and you, there are going to be less people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, I really love love uh, Gemma. She's so she's so much fun. Talk about creating that that lead female character, and because I think you do a good job of keeping her. You reveal. Uh, Alex's history, and you keep Gemma's kind of a little bit more, you know, in, uh, in the haze, I would say. Yeah. So 
You know, I think a lot of, uh, I feel like it's a tradition in boarding school novels with the fish out of water, somebody sort of coming into that boarding school who's not necessarily part of that world. Uh-huh. And so then then I decided to create Gemma, who's actually, uh, she's an, a scholarship student, and we're not, it's not clear until much later on how she arrived there, what her true backstory is. And she does feel, she's an outsider who's made it into like, they, there's this sort of elite group of kids called the 10, and so she's part of these sort of, this elite club, but she's not part of it. And we're not sure exactly what she's a- up to, but but it felt, it felt like the right way to kind of let the audience see this world not from a true insider's perspective. And, and uh, the other female characters in the school are, are also really fun. Uh, uh, Mel and... And, uh, and Kate, and, yeah, Kate, yeah, Kate yeah. Bush. Kate yeah. <laughs> Bush. I, I confess that I spent my college years <laughs> listening to Wuthering Heights. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I know. I actually worried that the Kate Bush reference, the uh-huh. singer, like, would, would kids that age know? I mean, it's still, it's some time ago, so... They might have. It, she might still be in their consciousness, but I, I wondered if it was like, yeah. Oh, in 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 my consciousness. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes, uh, but uh, you know, you do a good job of uh, balancing these characters and and the insiders and the outsiders. Um, you know, the 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 school elites and the school those are the, and the hangers on. So talk about creating the you know, uh, cliques. I mean. Cliques will be the death of this humanity. Yeah. No, it was interesting to write about them because I, I feel like in my own high school experience, I didn't have exactly that mm-hmm. or not, certainly not a traditional sense. Um, I, like I, I recently was working on um, uh, Megan Abbott's TV show, Dare Me. And there's, um, in the writer's room, we talked a lot about mean girl culture. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, I have no concept of that. And I had never even known that I had no concept of that. But I went to a, a magnet school that was pretty small, and we started from fourth grade through twelfth. I started in fifth, uh-huh. so you knew everyone. So if you know a boy from fifth grade through twelfth grade, there's no—he's just like some weirdly annoying distant cousin. That's how it feels. So, and we didn't. There, I just don't remember there being like popular kids. We didn't have a football team. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Lucky you. I, yeah. <laughs> I was spared without ever really understanding what that meant and how I would navigate the world knowing knowing that. So uh, with creating the cliques in uh, the Swallows, I think I just had to like trust my instincts uh, about it. But I, I don't know, I, you know, I'm not sure how, how accurate it is. It feels like it's accurate enough. Um, and every school has its own its own culture, its own sure. way of being. So, now you you talked a little bit about uh, the the world you were creating. I thought that was an interesting spin to that kind of world building because it is really it's a very insular place. It all takes place on you know on this kind of small campus out kind of a little bit in the boonies. Yeah. So talk about that. You know, creating the the world itself and how much of the real world you were willing to let through and how much the inside played in. Well, I mean, with I think with all of these schools, and granted, I to be honest, I don't know, but I, I mean, it, it, 
based on the scandals that have happened, there's a suggestion that it's very much its own society and it does have its own rules. I mean, if, if teachers are openly having sex with students and at a school for years, for decades and decades, you can't tell me they don't have their own laws. And so really anything can go. And But it's also kind of fun to see, like, because there's something interesting about, like, like, yes, society is allowed in in terms of culture and, like, you know, entertainment and that kind of thing. But but they're they're deciding their rules. They're deciding what's important to them. And it's also based on their environment and sort of like they have all this land that they can make use of. And, you know, that creates also a whole different way of living and stuff like that. So. Uh, do you chop down trees? I have. <laughs> but I haven't. I don't. I mean, I've chopped wood before, but actually, I I did chop down my own crisp. Well, I, I I used a saw uh-huh. for a Christmas tree, uh, once, uh, and it was satisfying. But then I brought it home, and actually, there's something up with the tree, and it seemed to attract bugs, <laughs> and it smelled, and uh, so. That was your last uh, last experiment with that. <laughs> I know. I'll never do it again. Um. Now. The part of the the plot of this book revolves around um, the I, the IT essentially of that time, which was pretty sophisticated, not quite as sophisticated as we have today. No, no, not nearly. I would say right. sophisticated because you know they, you know, are happily absent of you know iPads. I you know every not everything in, is a computer. So talk about creating the IT aspect of this book especially in terms of using it to drive the plot but not getting hung up in it I think you do a good job of having it there to serve its purpose but not making the plot serve the purpose of the technology right so there's a the there's something called the dark room that features in the book and it's it's like an old uh, a message board um, which I feel like was pretty common a while ago and uh-huh. now we just have Twitter where you just write your message to everyone in the world, not just um, a group of people. But so the, there's this message board and there's there are portals in the message board. I mean, it was all a little tricky for me because I'm not like I'm not particularly savvy, but I have a cousin who was very helpful in like helping me kind of use the right language to figure out um, how to how to present it. Uh, so the technology compared to now is pretty limited. Basically, there's texting on, and, and 2009, I believe, is right around when the first iPhone was, was coming out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something like that, if, if I'm a little off, sorry. But uh, so people were starting to get iPhones. People were texting regularly at that point. Certainly, like, we had websites and message boards and that sort of thing. But, um, but there's still, like, a world where you can have sort of a private conversation. And, mm-hmm. and that's sort of, this is a different time than now where everything's out in the open. Yeah. That's so, that's an interesting uh, thing. And that, that really serves the purpose of like keeping secrets. It serves the mystery genre right. much better when, than when everybody can find out anything in a second go, Siri, tell me about this. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Because it feels like so many um, uh, crime, even like, like police procedurals are really about like oh I went on Facebook and found out blah 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 and then that's that <laughs> yeah 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 it's really taken the the fun out of that it really has <laughs> yeah. um, 
this brings me to Norman. I, I, Norman's a really a great character. You have a lot of fun with Norman. So talk about creating him. Well, he, yeah. No, he was. I thank you. I'm I'm glad to hear that because I he means I really like him and I. I Feel like he was really necessary. So Norman's the the male student narrator, and um, he's the kid who sort of he basically is the gatekeeper of their message board system of the dark room. But he is not part of that world. He's not one of those guys. He's just doing it for self preservation. You know, it's like the 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 leaders of the ten. They call themselves the editors, and these are the editors are the boys who who kind of control this message board. Oh, and now I see editors, the editors, plural, yours. <laughs> yeah. Now now the whole mystery is unfurled. <laughs> and so Norman, uh, but he's, it's all about self-preservation. And so mm -hmm. uh, I wanted a, a, to show a, how some men are just trying to get by. And like, yes, maybe they're part of the problem, but I don't believe that you can expect people to be heroic. I think that yeah. Exactly. That what a what a great thought. We we need a T-shirt that says yeah. that or a billboard. I know because I've I've some people have like talked to me and like they're they they would refer to Norman as I don't think he's bad. I'm like what? He's a good guy. Yeah. It, in a world where no one was sort of abusing him, he would be a great guy. Yeah. And so I. I, that bo that bothered me. I was because I never occurred to me that people would think that he should like, you know, put his physical body. He should just throw himself on the fire. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. No. No. I mean, a it would be completely unrealistic. And yeah. But but also I think it speaks to I think the really important aspect of the book is, is even it, though it it gets re extremely dark, even when it gets dark, it's also still pretty fun Thank but <laughs> but but also I, I mean people are just are, are not like that I mean yeah. people are, are gonna watch out do what they can to, to stay safe and get just you know get from the end beginning of this day to the end of this day and not do something really terribly life-altering right exactly no and uh, but he you know and I think he I think he does the best he can, and I think part of like what I was trying to talk about is just sort of if if we're all aware of what's going on, if 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 everybody's trying a little bit better, then I think everyone eventually has the freedom to do what's right. Mm -hmm. But if we're we're not clear on what's going on, if we keep things a secret, then other people become complicit in that secret. Well, yeah, I think. Uh, one of the the things we're learning, I think, now is you really have to make reality-based decisions. And if you don't know reality, the decisions you can make are not going to work well at the point when they actually come up to to face to face with reality. There's going to be bang, and yeah. it's things are going to fall apart in a particularly ugly way. Yes. No. It's that's <laughs> completely true, and that's yeah. Now. This book has, has a, a an interesting uh, take on the sexual content. That there's there is some. Yeah. But I and I, I think that you do a good job of using using that to in a manner that's realistic within the, the framework of the characters 
um, but also, you know, to drive the plot, but not to the point where it becomes distress any more distressing than you intend it to be. Yeah. Hey, you I, have a really great, nuanced, <laughs> and conflicted vision of sex in this book. It's about as the closest to reality as I've seen. Right. I mean, I I wish I could like because I I got an editorial note, but I feel like it's probably not the appropriate language um, for this interview, so I'm gonna leave it out. But uh, some people did find it yucky. Uh huh. And uh, I I felt like okay, this is this was my general opinion of how far I should go. I needed it to be yucky enough that you understood that, that the girl's reaction and how things eventually unfold makes sense and feels earned. And I also feel like it is yucky. You should feel a little uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. But I, I tried to not, like, you know, bang it on your over, over your head <laughs> over and over again. And I, I tried to not make it too disgusting, but it has to be a little. Yeah, well, you, it, it, what you do is I think you completely with complete success you avoid the lectern and, and the podium at every point when when they must have just been looming up in front of you say step up to me and start shouting it from the rooftops <laughs> right but there but it was actually i keep thinking about how like when uh, some of the girls finally get access why well, i don't want to i don't i'm a, i'm always a little worried about spoilers with this book yeah no it's little, yeah yeah but uh, I was able to use a lot of the characters. That's when I used humor, I think, the best, uh -huh. where you get really uncomfortable, and then I have a character get to just sort of say something that feels feels right, uh -huh. but like kind of at least con controls the tension a little bit. And, and I don't know, with that part, I I mean, in general, I'm not a luxury person. I mm -hmm. Every once in a while, I'll go on a, a completely insane tirade. Uh, like I did the other day at a reading where I was talking about how stupid people were who didn't think humor and substance could mix. That Then I lost my mind. Uh, <laughs> and there have been other times like, you know. Well, but, this, is a, this book is a perfect example of that. It's, it's very funny. It's kind of, in a way, it's almost lighthearted, even though you're, you're driving knives through that heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you want people to read the book. Yeah. And I, I mean, I knew it was an uncomfortable topic, but I don't think I realized until now that it's out, how uncomfortable it is for a lot of people. And so I'm glad I, I trusted You're doing your job. Yeah. yeah, you're doing your job. I think that's it. It should be uncomfortable, but it's also, I think, really enjoyable. And I think, talk about like that balance. How, that seems like that must have been the, the effort of a lot of revision and a lot of like thought, conversations with yourself. Um. Actually, once I started, like, the, the, with, uh, when, I, when I moved to a different publishing house and I was just given a little bit of freedom, mm -hmm. I felt like, okay, I think this book can be kind of funny, and I'm going to let it be funny when it feels right. Exactly. And that, at that point, I, then I just had a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. And then I also just decided that I like writing humor, and... I don't know. I feel like if I find a joke, I'm going to use it. If I find something that's fun, I'm going to use it because it just makes things to me feel a little bit more alive. Like there's a the school has all these like they name all of their buildings after um, writers. English writers. <laughs> yeah, and you really got a great crop of writers. I forgot about <laughs> that. Yeah, Tolkien Library. Oh my God! Yay! Yeah, I I mean some of it was silly. I know, but it was also like I could see this at a school and then. 
And I, I actually had one reader who I love say that she thought maybe that wasn't the, the wisest decision. It felt a little too funny. And But then I thought of the Graham Greenhouse, and I'm like, forget <laughs> it. I'm doing it, and I'm going all in. <laughs> and my only regret is that sometimes I feel like I could have like mentioned things more like I didn't come up with like I had all these like trails and something way or whatever and then I realized Evelyn Waugh way so that you say Waugh way and I had I feel, my regret is that like I don't have enough people saying oh yeah go take Waugh way which is stupid I get it but no uh, <laughs> I really liked that you know um I've always thought when I read this Bauman Piles a, 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 I just thought where is the DB series of that book and this I I somebody has got to get this to Joss Whedon because I think he's the guy who could handle this this combination of humor and horror which is kind of what it is well we actually uh, it's, it's interesting we yeah this I can announce uh, Fox Network bought Spellman oh they, they optioned Spellman like just a couple weeks ago wow and they I think they really like they I just when I talked to everyone there they just they, they got it. They got it for the right reasons, and they want to do it for the right way, I think. Oh, yay. So that was exciting, and I don't know if I can... All I can say is uh, this book was optioned last night. Was, Congratulations. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. Um, and I I can just see, excited. I mean, this, this seems like this should... It absolutely should be. People will just be squirming and yes. laughing at the same time. It, it, yeah, I hope so. I feel I feel very good about both both parties. So I'm I'm excited. Now, uh, are you are you working on more spelling books? And and you talked about writing for TV. I'm sorry. What was the series you were writing for? Well, I was working on Deremy, which will I believe it's airing, um, which is which is based on a Megan Abbott book, and that's air should be airing uh, in January of okay. 2020. But I also worked on The Deuce a few years back, oh, okay. uh, the HBO show. Wow. All right. Yeah. Well, well um, congratulations. Yeah. Are you going to be working? I would assume you're going to be working on spelling files. Do you? Uh, I hope so. Uh, I've made it very clear that I would would love to it's, having distance from them is kind of great because it mm -hmm. it does make you realize i don't know i had such a blast writing them oh well i, I mean i had such a blast reading them they're very they're so, so much glad. fun yeah now uh what are you working on now so i'm actually nearing the end of uh an, another book with um with valentine and it's uh it's different. It's um, it's still again a completely different type of book, but it still probably feels very much like. As one of my agents says, I, I could probably just read like a paragraph and know it was you. Um, <laughs> but uh, so this the next book doesn't really have a title yet, uh, but it's about two uh, platonic friends, and uh, we show them in their college years, and then we show them later in life, like in their late thirties. And there's a murder in their past, and then a murder in their present. And it's sort of about what those murders and the suspicions surrounding them do to this friendship that seemed utterly unbreakable. Wow, that sounds good. <laughs> the new novel by Lisa Lutz is The Swallows. Thank you for joining me, Lisa. Thank you so much. This was great. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.